Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, it seems impossible, but it must be true. We are now less than a month. Yes, we're now less than a month away from the end of the regular season uh, in college football. We are now just a few weeks away. Uh, Championship season, I guess, is about three or so weeks away. Wow, God, where does the time go? And I'm joined by the one, the only, often imitated but never duplicated gentleman, James Coburn. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing well. Excellent. Glad to hear it. I know you're playing catch-up in, in, in a certain way because uh, you, of course, were seeing the continent. Uh, but a lot has happened. Uh, certain things we, we, that we thought would happen have happened. Uh, to no one's surprise, it looks like, I mean, things could happen. But unless something unforeseen happens, Alabama and Georgia will end up facing each other in the SEC. And Alabama will win. And Alabama will win, right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, certain things, lather, rinse, repeat. Yes. Uh, but I do believe Georgia will make a game of it. I think it will be the closest game that Alabama's had all year. Still, they will probably be a 17-point victory, you know, which is close for Alabama. But I, yeah. I truly believe Georgia will come out hit them in the quote unquote hit them in the mouth. Meaning I think there'll be a brief early lead for, for Georgia. They'll be super jacked out of their minds on emotion. They'll get a big run from somebody like DeAndre Swift. Because one thing about this Alabama team that makes it different from some of the other Alabama teams is they can actually be gashed on the ground if you're really good. If you're real great running backs and your offensive line's really, really good. They can legitimately be gashed. You can get long run in a way that you couldn't for the really most of the past 10 or so years, and I think Georgia will get at least one big, maybe two big long runs. I think there'll be at least one big pass play and then a field goal, um, so that will probably account for their 17 points, and then will come the onslaught, and, you know, it'll end up being, you know, 38 to or something or 34 to 17, but we have time for that. that <laughs> we don't have to worry about that yet. I want to talk Mountain West right now. Um, I watched... A terrific Mountain West game last night. First of all, how was Boise State ranked? Boise State is one of the top 25, one of the top 20, maybe one of the top 15 teams in the nation. How are they not ranked, Jim? Is it going to the Mountain West Conference? But I understand that. If it were some other Mountain West team, I could kind of understand it. But the news I mean, has gotten out to people that every, Boise State. You have, you have to, you have, you have to, you have to the, the committee is very very past dependent like the only reason why UCF gets ranked uh, at all like if, if they like were undefeated and they didn't play anybody that great they probably wouldn't be ranked or they would be ranked very low the only reason why they're even there is because they took out an SEC team last year Boise State 
has not really taken on any SEC teams, nor have they beaten any SEC teams. And they probably will never happen That's, like that because I, they could beat. They could beat several SEC teams if they could get. I'm going to have to do a show at some point. We're going to get somebody from some of these schools to come on with us to explain how hard it is to get on some of these teams' schedules. People say, we'll play somebody. Oh, oh, my God. It's like the whole thing with, like, when some unarmed black person gets shot down the street. It's like, well, I'll obey the cops more quickly or whatever. It's sort of like that. We'll play somebody. Like, you, all you do is you call up the guy, the, the G, the G, you just call up the, 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 the athletic director at Vanderbilt or Tennessee or Auburn or Alabama's hey, can you, we got how about we, we play this no it, you can't just come up and say let's play each other it's as once again five years seven years I mean it's not always that but several years down the road most of these games are scheduled other teams are ahead of you sort of in the pecking order it's not like you're I mean sometimes you can talk them into dropping Tulane or Louisiana, Monroe, whatever, from their schedule, but you have to pay them to pay, or someone has to pay to get out of the arranged, which sometimes happens. Most of them will pay to get out of the, the contracted game with whoever it is to play someone else. But it's, it's not as easy. as It's not just like, oh, yeah, give them a call and let's go play a, a friendly game of football. It's hard to get on Alabama's schedule, Jim, if you're not in SEC school. That's true. And if you're actually good, it's hard to get on a schedule as well. It's super hard if you're good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a talk about this years ago, back when Boise first started actually handing people their butts, about how people would politely decline when Boise would contact them regarding home and home. But, golly, I mean, that sounds interesting. Um, we'll get back to you later about this home and home Boise state. I mean, I'm this was that. This goes all the way back to the, the Dan Hawkins days. There have been people politely declining to play Boise State for a very long time. And it's happened. UCF is running into the same, same issue. Hey, guys, I'd like to have a home at home. I mean, we're, you're in Florida, I'm in Florida, hey, Miami, hey, Florida State, hey, uh, Florida. Wouldn't it be cool if we all played each other? Wouldn't that be awesome? And once again, I mean, I'm not saying people are flatly afraid to play them, but they're not all jazzed about that. They don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> right. There we go. They don't want to lose. Teams don't want to lose. I mean, the thing the thing is about these out of conference games and stuff is I think most teams would like to have these out out of conference games on a neutral field or at their own place, and uh, because they don't want any, you're never going to see Alabama taking on Fresno State at Fresno State. (laughs) No. No. Or even at the Even when Fresno State was bad, they're not going to do that. You know? So, you know, if the SEC, Alabama's only really going to play a team at somebody else's house, but it's the SEC. It's not the SEC. They're not. And I think you can even look at the data over the last couple of years, and that's what every team does because they don't want upsets. You know, they don't want, they want to keep their, um, because the, the biggest the biggest difference between football now and football in the past 
a certain extent, is that teams now play significantly less tough schedule than they ever have before, and that's just because of the fact that they add in all these out-of-conference games against weaker opponents, you know, like where we say, oh, yeah, they play Connecticut, so it's a bye this week or whatever, you know what I'm saying, um, or whatever, or meet me state or, you know, so on and so forth. Because in the past, a lot of times they, they didn't have that luxury, you know. They didn't play – they didn't have four or five games a year, it seems like, on some of these teams where they could literally just put their car into neutral and then they would end up winning the game for the most part. Um, but yeah, I mean that. Yeah, go ahead. I still remember when the links to which um, Boise had to go to get Georgia to play them. They had to. I think the game was played in Atlanta. I mean, it wasn't on campus in Athens, but I think they had a quote-unquote neutral site game in, in the Falcons Stadium in Atlanta. Uh, Virginia Tech played Boise in – it wasn't Lane Stadium. It was another neutral site game. It might have also been Georgia. I can't remember. It was someplace in the south, but it wasn't on campus. No. Yeah, people – it seems that nobody, even now, will find a home-and-home home with Boise. Mm-mm. And Boise's home is weird in itself. It's like going to another planet, you know, <laughs> right. blue turf and the different, you know, the different type of weather, and you know, you're you're up, you know, what I'm saying so. It's its own little world. Time so most of it don't play there anyway. Right. The turf is blue. The time zone change. The a lot of Mormons around. Uh, not easy to fly there. I kind of get it, but it kind of bums me out that they don't. They should. They should, by law, have home and homes with teams like BYU and Utah. Like these are natural rivalries. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be a big deal to try to play some of these teams. Come on, Utah. You're not Alabama. You know you can make room in your life for some Fres- for some Fresno State or some Boise State action. And they do on occasion, you know. I mean that's true. It's not gonna be at, it's not gonna be at Fresno State or Boise State, but it's gonna be them playing, you know playing you at home. Yeah, I guess but but, I mean, Boise State is good. The Mountain West Conference is good. It's just nobody watches the Mountain West Conference. And the committee is very much – I mean, that was a, that was my biggest issue with the committee in general is, is like, they do – now, they do get things right at times, but they also get things way off just because of past performances and stuff like that, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, it's like putting teams like North Carolina State as like a top 15, 14 team. And Fresno State would handle them, Boise, Utah. There's three teams that I can think of, maybe four, in 
the bottom line is I truly believe could beat NC State. I mean, and everybody's like, oh, uh, Wake Forest just upset NC State. And I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, they upset them, but it wasn't as big of, like, the margins for that game, I think, again, like, going into it was, like, negative 21 and a half or whatever. Um, when more realistically, it should have been, like, negative 8, negative 7, you know, for that game. Because the yep. update is just not as good as the committee thinks they are. And, of course, no. Wake Forest got the upset. No, but, you know, even if Wake Forest didn't get the upset, I don't think it would have been a negative, you know, I don't think they would have won by 21 points, you know. No. No, they would not have. They're not that much better than Syracuse. They're not that much better than – I believe Utah State would beat them head up by, I don't know, 10 points maybe. I mean, Utah State might be the best team in the country that nobody ever, ever talks about. Ever. <laughs> I mean, Utah State's really good, Jim. I've watched three Utah State games, and I'm going to watch some more. I'm going to try to watch them all before it's all said and done. But that's a re- there's no glaring weakness on that team. They have one of the better young quarterbacks in the country that nobody ever talks about. Jordan Love gets no love. He gets no love. He's really good. He gets, he's, he's a, people use the term dual threat sometimes to describe guys that really aren't dual threats. They really are running quarterbacks who struggle to throw the ball. This guy's a legitimate dual threat. He can do both things well, but he throws the ball very well. And no one ever brings him up, ever, ever. Because people don't watch I mean, him. you're excited about the Ryan Finleys of the world. If you're going to get excited about the, the Brian Lewerke's of the world. And well, nobody's Mason on Brian Lewerke anymore. That was... That was an early season little thing where they had limited film and they just got a little too excited again. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Well, how about getting some limited film of Jordan Love and getting excited? Because they don't watch him. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, of yeah. The best analogy. I the best analogy I can point, say. Yeah. The best analogy I can say for the Mountain West Conference is it's kind of like a great anime show that is only in Japanese. Like, it hasn't hasn't been dubbed yet. And you've seen it because you're, like, obsessed. You know, like, you you try to find any piece of anime at all, and you're like, wow, this is an awesome show. This is amazing, you know. And then you ask your friends who only watch American dubbed anime shows, and they're like, Oh, that sounds great. I've never seen it. But yeah, that sounds great. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, you know, nobody, either one because of, which access is kind of a funny thing to say because it is the internet, but um, people just don't watch my watch conference. People, don't, people can't stay up late enough, you know, to watch those games. I mean, even the Fresno State Boise State game, like, I think it was like maybe 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock here. And, um, I did watch it, but there was a part of me going, you know, I could also just get these extra hours of sleep, you know what I'm saying? Because, um, you know, it is later than, you know, I, I mean, it's in California. I think I, I, when you put Mountain West football on at, at hours where they, 
it's a challenge. I'll say that much. It's a challenge. Yes. <laughs> but I, I make myself sometimes I have to get a quick nap after work so I can watch so I can watch you know, not play football. But it's worth it. I guess I, I'm trying to say that. That's what I'm trying to say. All I'm saying is it's worth it. Whatever you have to do. Get a good team, get good players. players. Because of this, I knew about Robert Turbin and Bobby Wagner and the late lamented Chucky Keaton. And, um, um, yeah, so Auburn made the mistake once of playing, <laughs> playing Utah State. Never again. Never again, I guess. <laughs> and in the year where, we won, where they won the national championship, it was a three-point game, Jim. And I guess I guess yeah. that did it. Like, well, nope. I guess they didn't realize what Utah State was when they said yes. It probably wasn't. I mean, when they probably when they signed the paperwork, Utah State probably wasn't even that good. And then, you know, sneaky little Utah State got good in the interim between the signing to play that game and, and when Auburn agreed to say yes, I guess it's probably what happened. But, yeah, I mean, that was a, a terrific uh, – carry-on uh, – not carry-on, uh, not uh, – what's it? Kerwin. Kerwin Williams was on that team. Uh, Bobby Wagner was on that team. Robert Turpin was on that team. Like I said, the late limited Chucky Keaton, who, you know, I still have a sort of a bruise on my heart <laughs> regarding – and he has probably some bruises of his own. He's a coach now. Chucky's gone to the coaching, and I think he'll be a good one. But, it, you know, I'm still a little sad. <laughs> But, yes, I mean, there are four very good teams in the Mountain West, and those four teams match up pretty well against the top four of a bunch of, I mean, as good as the top four in the Big Ten, probably not. And top four in the SEC, probably not. Top four in the ACC, hmm, hmm, pretty close. Top four in the Pac-12, I think they might be better. I'm not going to say it. I think the top four in the Mountain West might beat the top four in the Pac-12. I truly believe that, Jim. Maybe, I think they might go maybe three and one. <laughs> or, I don't know. Maybe at worst two and two. The Pac-12 is a mess. Yes, the Pac-12 is a mess. I told you before, I, I told you a couple weeks ago, the Pac-12, I don't like them. And they continue to prove my point each week. Yes, they do. They prove your point each week by being uh, a mess. They are a mess. There's no getting around it. They lose to teams they shouldn't lose to. They, you know, like I've heard of beat. I've heard of conferences, you know, where you're getting beat up by your conference. But like we give that excuse to the SEC. I mean, you know, what's your excuse? Right. Oregon State losing to Arizona, you know. Yes. Like I'm not saying Arizona's Arizona bad. I mean, Arizona's a little bit better Arizona than they usually are. Arizona State? Don't catch Arizona State on a good day. They'll beat anybody. They will beat anybody in the conference on a good day. Um, I mean, there's – that's a problematic conference. You're right, because – I don't know what's going on, because, like, Stanford is not what it used to be from a running game standpoint. I mean, they're having to rely on the arm of K.J. Costello, which, you know, can work, but it is a worrisome. And then Utah, of course, the running back went down, um, which I think they'll still be fine, but 
that's definitely worrisome. And of course, Oregon is, you know, they were never really great. They just had a good prospect there. Um, you know, at quarterback, you know, with a couple of different players here and there. Uh, Washington is Washington, you know. Um, yes, yes, they are. Washington State. Washington State's probably the more consistent team to a certain extent this year. You know, Utah, I wouldn't necessarily say because Utah's had some bad games and some good games, you know, and they've had more consistently good games than bad, but still. But um, I don't want to get into Colorado. So I just don't go there. But, like, it's just weird. Nothing is really going the way it needs to for the Pac-12 this year. Yeah. I just wish people would pay attention. That's all that was about. I've given up on getting people to watch, you know, University of Northern Colorado. I mean, I've given up. I, that was my battle, you know, things like that originally. Youngstown State and, you know, Wingate. I realized no one's going to watch Wingate tape with me. I get it. I've given up on that. I'm not fighting with people about getting them to watch Bowie State or Tuskegee. I realize that's a lost cause. But there's no excuse for not watching Mountain West. You know what I mean? They're broadcast every week by somebody, uh, you know, whatever. I, I, I just think it's, it's a certain amount of laziness or whatever. But uh, enough of that, I guess. Uh, the SEC has pretty much sorted itself out, so I won't spend much time on that. The Big Ten is still a little bit up in the air. We have the Michigan quote-unquote revenge tour, and I, I've said this, and I'm not even really fully joking. Chase Winovich really is like a professional wrestling figure, you know what I mean? Like he's he's got professional wrestling hair, he's got professional wrestling mic skills. Um, I really think if football doesn't work out for him, he will do very well in like the WWE. But football probably will work out for him. I'm just saying, yeah. Uh, but everyone's sort of gravitated towards Michigan as if Ohio State has left, you know, left the stage open. Like, okay. This is the same Ohio State. I mean, when Ohio State loses to Michigan State today, I think that'll be very clear um, that this is not – oh, I'm sorry. I mean, that that's not much of a hot take, I guess. But, like, it's I – uh, that much of a hot take, but I don't like – I don't like Michigan State's offense at all. Um, I mean, if because, you're running old I don't like Michigan State's offense game. either. I, I don't like their offense either, but, like, look at it like this. Ohio State, okay. if Ohio State was legitimately back to where they needed to be, they lose to Purdue, which, based on data, I know everybody says that's a giant upset. Not necessarily, because Purdue – they were playing Purdue at home. Purdue wasn't this terrible program either. Like, it was not like this giant, you know, it, it wasn't like Syracuse beating Clemson or whatever, you know. Like, that's that's kind of one of the upsets I kind of go to, like what happened last year. That was probably one of the bigger upsets last year. Um, you know, because it's Clemson. But I just look at Ohio State, you know, they go into the Nebraska game, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, 
good teams after they have losses like that, typically they go into that game and they just 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 like destroy you know, they take out all their pent up anger and depression um on that team. And that didn't happen. It was a close game. It was a game that legitimately Nebraska could have won at many points in that game. They still True. had yep. Nebraska moments. I watched the game as well. The talent discrepancy eventually caught up with them. But here's my question. And that's true. But you're not supposed to have games like that, Bill. I agree. But here's my question. And I don't mean this to be funny. How much better, in terms of just football talent, is Michigan State than Nebraska? And this is a serious question. Um... Yeah, I mean, Nebraska definitely does have more football talent, but I just, uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. I just we'll see what happens. Feeling and, and Michigan that, State is fully capable of winning that. I believe they are the, the more cohesive team of the two, I believe, is Michigan State. I just, I just get afraid that if it takes more than about 24 points to win that game, I don't see how they get more than 24 points, even against a rather porous Ohio State defense. They seem to struggle to – I saw them against teams that were vastly inferior to Ohio State struggle to move the ball. Vastly inferior. So, yeah, I mean, Ohio State could turn in a stinker and, and lose that game. But if Ohio State – even wakes up fairly well into the third quarter, down by 10 or less, and begins to play well, they're done. Because Ohio State can move the ball on Michigan State if they decide to do so. Like, I mean, I, I worry. It's funny because I, I'm, not, I'm not blaming whatever they had going on with Urban Meyer or whatever. Who knows? Whatever. Um, but it seemed like the play calling got a little worse once Urban Meyer came back. Maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I, I seem to remember the play calling being more interesting, more unexpected, and frankly better when Ryan Day was left to his own devices. True. And, you know, it could have just been that that was a, maybe it was just earlier in the schedule. I don't know. Maybe... I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were playing teams that weren't as good or defenses that weren't as good. Maybe that's, that's all it was. But it, I do remember thinking I liked the flow of the play calling better previously. It's very possible. I mean, Earl Meyer has been all over the place with the play calling. You know, recently. Um, and especially last year, a couple of, you know, when they had kind of different quarterback situations. They were trying to figure out. Um, it kind of goes back to the whole Cardo Jones thing, I guess, is the best way to put it. Or JT Barrett or whomever, but I just don't think this is the same Ohio State. Like, uh, to me, the Big, the Big Ten is Michigan State. Well, not Michigan, but Michigan. Um, they have a solid defense. The offense is not Ohio State level, but I think that's kind of the big difference is um, – is that you know big discrepancy? Which is in the But I just have the the, the inclination that I, I just think Ohio State this year is just gonna be that inconsistent team this year. Like next year I think there's definitely a chance they come back and, and they are more 
humbled, I guess, is the best way to put it. But this year, I just don't see things going for them this year when it's all said and done, especially a, a game like this. Like, I think there's going to be another bad loss this year for, um, for Ohio State. Oh, yeah. I, I don't doubt that they'll pick up another bad one somewhere. And, yeah, I mean, obviously it could happen. I just keep thinking it would be more likely to happen against a team that's like Purdue, capable of explosive plays. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that seems to be where they really struggle, is against teams that are capable of explosive plays. Like, Michigan's capable of explosive plays. You know, Purdue makes their living on explosive plays. Plays of 20. They gave up nine plays in that game, Jim, against Purdue of 20, play, 20 yards or more. Nine. That's a season for Michigan State. That seems yep. to be the kind of team that Purdue is actually more suited to beat Ohio State than Michigan State. It's that team that wants to slow it down and ugly it up that I think gives them a better shot because, you know, and even if that team gets a, a seven or even a ten-point lead, slowing it down and ugly it up, all it takes is them sort of snapping out of their their days and, and playing better. You can't just do that with Purdue because Purdue will put up, well, as you just saw, 49 points on you. Snapping out of your days and beginning to play better is too little too late against them because they've scored a bunch of points on you. I don't know if Michigan State could score 49 points on Tulsa. You know what I mean? Like, they would struggle to score that many points against whoever you think is the worst defense in America, Oklahoma, whatever. Name whoever you want to name. I'm not sure if Michigan State could score 49 points on them. At least the, at least the Michigan State I've seen. Now, maybe I haven't caught them on their good days offensively. But the, the Michigan State I've seen on offense, oof. You know, I mean, it's... They literally look like they look like a team that wants to be a slobber knocker, bring the tackles, run the ball kind of team, but doesn't have the right offensive linemen or running backs to do it. And then when that doesn't work and they have to throw the ball, oh, they have one receiver, um, his name is Felton Davis, that is any kind of threat. The other receivers are almost like I'm not saying this to be mean, but these guys couldn't start. The other receivers I've seen at Michigan couldn't start at UCF. And I'm not joking. I don't think they could start for UCF. I think these guys would be down the depth chart guys at UCF because they aren't fast or sudden or explosive or scary in any way. Mm -hmm. They have one receiver that I've seen so far at Michigan that could start at UCF. That's about Nick. Yeah, that's Michigan State all the time, though. I mean, they never have speed. I mean, usually it's here, my four, four, seven, one, four, eight, five. Evergreen, another evergreen tweet. Yes, that's a good point. They never see. What is it with that? Like, how how is it every other Purdue? How is it Purdue can find all this speed, but Michigan State can't? How does that work? Um. I guess they get a lot of transfers, maybe. Yeah, some, but a lot of those kids. Uh, what's his name from Nashville, Tennessee? A Nashville kid, uh, Rodale Moore. Is, yeah, some kids are Indiana kids. Some kids are from Tennessee and Ohio. But some of those kids mm-hmm. are oh, just you know three stars. He's, he's got maybe four stars. He's mostly three star kids. They're getting at Purdue. 
undersized, some of them, but they can run. You know, they they they, they figure that part out that they you need speed, and they go out and get it. They find a few Florida kids, obviously, like every team that needs speed, but they found some kids in Indiana who can run. Indiana has kids who can run. It just shocks me that Michigan State, like every year we say this on Michigan State, boy, if only they had some speed on the outside. We've been saying this, well, I've been saying this just before you were born probably, but I know I've been saying this, you know, as long as, as, long as draft footage has been a thing, it's been, once again, evergreen tweet, boy, if only Michigan State had some team speed. True. It's so weird that they don't seem to have, can't they just, you know, do what Oregon did, find some guy to give a double bag full of cash? Well, I guess you're not going to do that. But, you know, whatever it is, however that works, to bring them a bunch of kids who are under-recruited from, who are, but who are fast? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe they need a new promotion or something, like get promoted by Nike or something, maybe. Yeah, maybe that. Since I guess they, the double bag full of cash is probably not the, the thing they want to do, but... But whatever method you use, there are ways to find kids who can run. Because small, much Houston finds kids who can run. Houston doesn't have anywhere near the prestige or football presence that, that Michigan State does. The aforementioned USF, UCF, um, you know, uh, there are loads of, I don't know, it's just weird. That, they don't need a bunch of them. They need like three or four dudes. That's all they would need, just to find another three or four guys who are legit 4-4 kind of guys. And now, now if you do fall down 10 points, you're not done, you know, in the third quarter, you know, because you, now you don't have the ability to come back from 10 points against a team that's even okay on defense, let alone good on defense. If they fall down 10 points to Northwestern, they're cooked, Jim. How is that possible that they can't, find a way to be more explosive than Northwestern. That should not be close. They shouldn't be about the same or slightly inferior to Northwestern in terms of explosive playmakers. It just it just doesn't even sound right. Yeah. <clears throat> Michigan State though. I guess we must at least touch on the SEC briefly. Unless something weird happens, we sort of know what's happening with the SEC. Moving on. We'll go back and check on the SEC. Thank you. Sorry about that. Little maintenance work. Uh, 
So unless something weird happens, we kind of know what's going on with the SEC. Uh, I know I predict every year that the SEC is going to be somewhat down as a conference. And I think beyond Alabama, I'm kind of right this year. I think Alabama is, you know, unstoppable killing machine. But across the board, as a conference, I don't think this is a great year for the SEC. Um, Tennessee is spiraling into terribleness. And, you know, maybe they'll, they'll write the ship soon, but they're bad. Uh, Vanderbilt, I think, headed in the right direction. They're kind of like Northwestern-ish. Uh, Georgia's good, but as we put up, not, you know, me, meaning they're probably within 17 points or 20 points or something of Alabama. Uh, Florida is, you know, sort of like we keep saying about LSU, they're quarterback away. <clears throat> um, uh, Mississippi State, sort of a quarterback away, too. Uh, I mean, everyone talks about Nick Fitzgerald, and he's, you know, a tough guy and a big guy and a, an athlete. And, you know, if I'm a friend of him or know him well, and, I'm, and I think if he wants to keep playing football, I'm talking to him about, you know, running pass routes or bulking up or whatever it is he has to do to play tight end or whatever. But he, he doesn't look like a, a guy who's going to play quarterback at the next level. To me, it's Mississippi State does have some terrific defensive talent. Uh, Mississippi is kind of, uh, they've got talent, but they're, they're missing some, yeah, they're missing some things, though. The interior of their defense isn't particularly interesting or tough or stout. Their secondary is certainly beatable. Um, they have an interesting quarterback. I mean, Jordan Tiamo is the kind of guy that, you might want to draft in the fourth or fifth round and develop, and he might become something. They have a lot of receivers. Everyone talks about the NWO, the nasty wideouts or whatever, and they're, they're a talented bunch. Slightly overrated, but still talented. Uh, uh, who else is in the conference? Oh, Auburn, right. Um, we might have spent a little time on Auburn. This has been an interesting year for Auburn. If you were breaking down that team, what would you say are the strengths and weaknesses at Auburn? I think the strengths of Auburn uh, most likely come down to the defense. Okay. That's pretty much the biggest strength. Uh, the passing game has just been dreadful, um, terrible. Yeah. Bad. I mean, there are times where Stidham has had like six seconds, seven seconds of time to throw the football, still didn't get the job done, which is, you know, embarrassing, at least. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Auburn is, is a defensive team. It's, it's kind of what it's always been, really, Bill, from last year to this year, et cetera. It's a run heavy offense with defensive uh, a defensive identity to a certain extent because they, they are they do play pretty physical defense with a quarterback who doesn't quite get it done and when they're able to have and, and a lot of it I'm not going to say they need to have a dual threat quarterback to run that offense 
because they don't really need necessarily need to have a guy like that, like a Nick Marshall or a you know Sam Newton, of course, which is probably the pinnacle that sort of uh, idea. But they do have a lot of issues um, getting that offense to to be a hundred percent without a quarterback that can you know get some decent gashes, you know, twenty yard, thirty yard type gashes on the ground or more um, to a certain extent. And Siddham just hasn't really proven to be the most consistent quarterback either to kind of create a good, you know, a good enough balance on that team. So I would say Auburn realistic is a defensive run-heavy team, which seems to be the generic, I guess it would be like the generic SEC team. It's just that they do things a little bit differently on offense compared to other SEC teams so in terms of what they try to do with their running game and stuff like that. But um, that's how I would best describe Auburn this year. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I assume you're not, you're not anticipating an upset Iron Bowl-wise, right? Um. No, because I think the Iron Bowl is in Alabama this year. Oh, okay. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't see yeah. upset. No, okay, just checking. Uh, so, yeah, the SEC doesn't have a lot. Um, to offer then. Um, and like I said, unless there's some Shocking upset coming, which doesn't sound like anybody's anticipating. I, I'm not, and I guess you aren't. Uh, the ACC. Clemson isn't exactly Alabama, but they do seem to be somewhat distanced from the rest of the, the conference with regard to talent and execution. Uh, at one point, NC State was sort of the flavor of the month to sort of challenge them, and you know, obviously that's that flavor has dissipated. Um, yeah. They lost the way they lost to them that pretty much ended. Yes, correct. And Miami has not found any sort of consistency in its offense, particularly at the quarterback position. I mean, other places too. At times they run the ball extremely well uh, with Travis Homer and, and some of the other, uh, DJ Dallas and others. And other times they... They just look like they have no idea how to run the football. It's just a shocking disparity between how good they can be at running the ball sometimes and how terrible they can be sometimes running the football. But essentially the same group of players. Uh, their defense is consistently above average, uh, but can be had on big plays, sort of like the Ohio State defense, only less hyped up in terms of their, their front seven isn't as, as hyped up. But I think they're similar defenses in a lot of ways, in terms of both strengths and weaknesses. Um, but there's some good players. Uh, Miami has some good players, and I, I think eventually Mark Ricks will get, get the ship righted there. Virginia Tech has been wildly inconsistent. Once again, usually their defense is good if you sort of throw out a couple of real stinkers. Uh, they've had a couple of terrible performances on defense, but they were, their defense was absolutely stifling and overwhelming against, against Florida State. And I thought that that's what we're going to see all year, and that has not been the case. They looked like that at times and then just looked bad. 
Uh, I mean, as bad as I can remember a... I'm trying to think of... I mean, Vertex had, had some years they've struggled a bit, but I don't know. I mean, that like I said, that old Dominion game, which I watched every bit of, uh, just won't leave my mind. And I just haven't seen... I, I just haven't seen them look like that on defense against an opponent that should have been inferior to them in literally every single way that a team can be inferior. I mean, they should have been less deep, less fast, less strong, less everything. Less everything you can think of. They should have had literally every advantage. And, you know, Blake LaRussa, who will be a legend forever at Old Dominion, uh, and deserves to be, quite frankly, just ate them a lot. They turned him into Doug Flutie. They made Blake LaRussa this walk-on from Bishop McNamara High School look like it. An absolute. He looked like Doug Flutie. Uh, let's see. The Mac is kind of a muddle, but I, I guess we'll you know listen to some of them. It looks like for the first time, in, maybe in its history, that the best team in the Mac might be. Now, least, Buffalo hasn't been in the Mac that long. Buffalo has been independent. At one point, they were in uh, the. What was it called? They were in the was in the Big East at one point. No, they were in the they were in Conference USA at one point, I believe. They've been they've been an independent. They've been in about two other conferences, I think. They finally found, I guess, their home in the MAC. And the Buffalo, uh, the U Buffalo team is really an interesting team. And I don't know if you've watched. Have you watched them yet this year? Have you had a chance to watch them? You're at Buffalo. Jim? Oh, boy. Hello? Oh, there we go. Uh, I was saying, um, I was going to touch on the MAC very briefly. The MAC is kind of a, with the exception of the University of Buffalo, mm-hmm. who, what I've seen, are the best team in the MAC. Probably the first yeah, time. Yeah, I've seen I mean, it, yeah, I've seen Buffalo. I think I saw the Tuesday game. I saw the Toledo game. And all I can really say about Buffalo is is their offense is really fun to watch, obviously. You yeah. know, with, with Tyree Jackson and Anthony Johnson and all the sort of wide receivers they had. At the same time, the Toledo game kind of showed me that they can definitely throw the game away at times, you know, in terms of turnovers. I mean, that Toledo game was sort of – I don't think I've ever seen a team had three picks at halftime and was able to, like, recover from it and win the game ultimately the way the Buffalo did, which just goes to show how good Buffalo is, that even when they have a slip-up like that, they can still kind of fight their way back in the game and, and recover. As far as being the best MAC team, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to debate it per se. I, I, you know, when you look at all the other MAC teams, the conference, but I do think that even though Buffalo may be the best team, that they definitely could get upset by whoever they face in the MAC championship just because of the turnover issue. Essentially, yeah. so that's yeah. that's that's all I can really say about it. Like if they if they play like a Ohio or something like that, or you know, or some other sort of team that can kind of capitalize. Oh, Ohio, Ohio teams. is exactly the team that would beat them if they were to lose. Because Ohio, I mean, they're dull as dishwater. I mean, there's no two ways around it, but boy, are they solid, man. That's, what a, 
they are they are really a reflection of their coach, Frankie Solis. They are not they are the least flashy Mac team probably ever. Um, or certainly one of the least flashy ones I've ever seen. There there's nothing super interesting about them. Nathan Rourke is a guy who operates a, a option ish offense very, very cleanly and and correctly. Uh, in in uh, Alit uh, or Alet, their their running back is probably a four six five guy, probably two hundred and twelve pounds, about five foot ten. Um, pro, you know, nothing nothing about him is is base. He doesn't fumble. The first contact never gets him down. He gets you four and a half yards, no matter what. Pretty much uh, when you give RJ Alet the football. You can just pretty much mark down four and a half yards, and that's what he gets almost every single time he touches the football. He could occasionally bust one uh, for long, you know, if it's blocked up perfectly or the defense is, you know, over pursues or makes a mistake. But but he's just so steady and so solid. Their defense is steady and solid. Their special teams is steady. I mean, you can, you know, once again, you can just keep saying steady and solid as many times as it takes to, you know, to get done saying it. But they 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 do everything well, nothing incredibly well, but they don't turn the ball over. They don't beat themselves. They don't make mistakes. They they do they do everything pretty much right. I mean, I guess it's pretty much all there is to say about it. They do pretty much everything correctly. If you beat them, you just beat them by being better, uh, which, you know, some teams do manage to do. Some teams are just better. So those teams have an opportunity to beat them because they are just that. They're just flat out better. But other than those teams that just are flat out better, who will beat them, uh, or could beat them, certainly, uh, they, they have a chance to beat almost anybody who plays them because they don't, quote, unquote, don't beat them. The classic, they don't beat themselves. But I am interested, you know, in, uh, to see how that will play out, actually. Uh, let's see. We talked about the Mountain West. Uh, the Sun Belt. Now, once again, I know you've been away and things like that. So I guess my question to you is if you have seen any Sunbelt games, uh, and I'll, I'll walk you through what I've seen or who I've seen and what I think, uh, but I, I always want to find out if you've had a chance to, once again, you're playing catch-up, so I understand if you haven't, but have you had a chance to check out any of the uh, – they don't have a cool name like Maction or whatever, but if you just check out uh, anything that's going on in the Sun Belt, uh, which Sally doesn't have a cool, you know, little nickname yet. Oh, the Sun Belt. Yeah, I mean, I've seen App State. I think they're a very um, strong team, offensively speaking. Um, I've seen Georgia Southern. Yep. I mean, they've been kind of a team that they've been just weird this year because, you know, they, they've had certain games where they've been dominant and they've had other games where the tables flipped on them to a certain extent, um, you know, uh, in terms of, like, losing games in sort of bad fashion. But I, I, but I do like them. I do think that that conference, just from those two teams, which I kind of view as the stronger, stronger teams in that conference, will end up that that'll be end up who wins it. 
you know, whether it's App State or Georgia Southern, I think it'll probably be App State. But, um, yeah, it's – and, of course, UAB as well. I think they've been really fun um, to watch offensively in terms of the running game. You know, they, they've been getting it done pretty well in terms of that. And, of course, North Texas has been kind of the opposite in terms of, you know, being pass-heavy. But I think the Sun Belt is really um, – is a really strong team this year, and not team but conference this year. I think it actually might be stronger than the MAC conference, just because the MAC has been there's been so many like really bad teams in the MAC, um, and the Sun Belt hasn't quite had that sort of issue as the MAC, and you know in terms of like teams like Kent State and you know Ball State and all the, all the other sort of states have just not been that great. Of course, Western Western Michigan has been. Having a moment, I guess, you know. Um, unfortunately, lost the their best player on offense, and John Watson when he got hurt. It, it's a dramatic difference. And once again, as seriously, you know, some of these, you know, we talk about some of these football factories. When you lose the player who's your best player, you can tell. Uh, if you saw them pre losing John Watson, and then after losing John Watson, there is a dramatic difference. In, in Western Michigan, with and without their starting quarterback, and you know, it was—they were a legitimate contender to win the Mac West prior to losing John Watson, and now they're just trying to, you know, fight for bowl eligibility. I think is pretty much what what they're looking to do now. But yeah, I agree. The Sun Belt is a really good conference. Uh, Appalachian State is no those teams that struggle sometimes to, to schedule, uh, you know, to, to get certain people to schedule them sometimes. Uh, not everybody's excited to, to face them. You know, for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know if it's because of the, you know, knocking off um, Michigan and when they're back in, they're back in the old uh, F, FCS days and, you know, whatever the reason is. Well, you know, if you, if you do it once, people think you might do it again, so. Yeah, I think they, they, they want to do that. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess. Uh, moving forward, the Big 12 <clears throat> looks like it's going to come down to Oklahoma and West Virginia. And what is, I mean, I know that they, for a long time, they didn't have a title game. I guess now they do have one or a championship game. That essentially is a championship game. I mean, I guess they're still going to have one or whatever. But when those two face each other, the winner, I'm assuming, will end up representing that conference. And, of course, this weekend is, uh, what do you call it, Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. I have friends in Oklahoma. 
friends from Oklahoma, family in Oklahoma, and of course it's a big, big deal. I mean, it's essentially their version of the Iron Bowl. Um, it divides the state pretty close to evenly. It is, if you're having a bad season, it can literally save your season. If you're having a good season and you lose, it can literally wreck your season. Uh, Oklahoma State has <clears throat> a couple of really good but underrated players. Their quarterback, uh, Taylor Cornelius. Uh, they have a really good D lineman and Jared Brailsford. And, you know, some other good players on defense. Uh, they have a good running back. And Justice Hill, a couple of good wide receivers. Um, have, have you have you managed to reacquaint yourself with the Big Twelve since you have returned? Um, to a certain extent. I mean, I caught the West Virginia uh, Texas game, um, which I thought was was you know again apparently Wilger is either the worst quarterback ever or you, you watch a game like that. You go, wow, he's got something to him, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, that. Yep. Which is true. Yeah, yeah, it's something to him, despite all the sort of inconsistencies um, and stuff. But um, I do agree that West, I think, West, you know, again, Oklahoma and West Virginia will be the ultimate thing. This might be a little early for me to call this, but I think West Virginia will win the Big 12, beat Oklahoma. So this might be yeah. an early thing. Um I, I think Oklahoma's biggest issue is that their offense is – I mean, Oklahoma's offense is one of the best in college football, um, even better than Alabama to a certain extent. Um, but their defense – West Virginia has a slightly better defense and, in, in, um, you know, they just have a little bit more balance to their team than Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma might just win with just sheer offense, but I, I think that that's kind of where I'm at with, with the Big 12. Year. Is that, I do think they're a little overrated. I mean, Texas, I think, was just way too – it was ranked way too high. You know, uh, like, I think they were, like, 10 or 14 or whatever, you know, like, in that sort of range. Like, they're not that type of team this year. I know people want them to be, but they're just not quite that yet. Um, but I, I think the Big 12 in general is on its way back. I think Kansas proves that a little bit. You know, Kansas has been playing a lot better than they have in a long time. Um, you know, like the game today, you know, Kansas at Kansas State is another one of those games. I, that's a game that I'm actually interested in just because um, I think Kansas has a shot to win that game, and um, which isn't always the case, you know. So but that's another sort of game that I'm kind of interested in seeing how it turns out. Okay. And I guess we do have to touch upon um, the Pac-12, which, as we've said before, is a mess. Uh, I keep defending the conference to some extent. One of the fun conference to watch. I mean, it's very competitive. A lot of teams that are good, no teams that are great, but I think the team that might be best is Washington State, and I could see them running the table. And, you know, probably not ending up in the Final Four unless a lot of other teams ahead of them lose, but at least being able to whip up their fan base and get, get them kind of pissed off and 
we'll get some great coats out of Mike Leach if that team, they're a one-loss team. And that one loss was a little controversial loss to USC with some, not a USC fan, but there were some iffy calls that went USC's way. Uh, well, I don't think still probably should have found a way to win it despite that. But uh, if they end up with, like I said, that one sort of iffy loss on their resume to USC, and especially if USC closes out the season strong, if USC, you know, runs the table from this point forward, you know, and maybe hands Notre Dame their only loss, and that's the only loss that Washington State has on their, their resume, I could see them kicking up their heels if they end up stalling out at number six or seven or something when, you know, when it's all said and done. Yeah, I can see. I mean, I could definitely see that. Um, but uh, I just don't know. I mean, uh, the Pac-12 is just uh, Arizona State though is a sleepy, a sleeper team to a certain extent, just because they've been well, playing I, really well. I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Arizona State. I was one of the people that loved the hire of of. Um, of uh, Herm Edwards, I thought that was going to be, I think they're a year ahead of schedule. I think it'll be really dangerous next year. But, yes, go ahead, please. Well, I just think that they've, they've they played, you know, obviously really well this year. I think they're, they had some games that they should have won but didn't. I mean, the Sanford game, to me, was a game that I, I felt like Arizona State was the better team from an offensive standpoint. It's just that Stanford was able to Stanford them a bit, you know, to win that game. But um, but I think that this Arizona State, if Arizona State had beat Stanford, I think we'd be talking about them a lot differently than we are right now. And I think that'll kind of play out as the season ends, you know, in terms of the wins they end up ultimately having at the end of the year. Hmm. Gotcha. Uh, let's see. If there's any, see. Um, oh, I guess we should at least discuss Washington briefly. I wasn't one of the people that bought into Washington. I got fooled by Stanford. Uh, that was the team that I bought into in the North. Washington was a team that most people seemed to buy into in the North, and even an early loss to Auburn seemed not to dissuade a lot of people, and they did sort of right the ship, but now Washington has been sort of revealed to be what they're going, what they are, you know, nine and three-ish kind of team, maybe eight and four, but, you know, probably nine and three-ish kind of team that's good, but, you know, nothing special. Um, I think the the biggest thing with Washington to me is that their defense is fine. I think their defense has been playing well, but their offense doesn't do any one thing at a spectacular level, whether it's passing the ball, running the ball. um, Like their offense just doesn't have that oomph to it, you know, that extra bit of, you know, they don't have like that, uh, I hate to say F factor or whatever, but you know they just don't have that sort of thing in that offense to really make it overwhelming, you know. So because if they just had a little extra something, something on offense, I think they would have, you know, they would have won out a lot of different games. 
But because they don't have that, they're just kind of uh, – I mean, they're not the worst team in the Pac-12. So I do think they're like in the top four to five in terms of Pac-12 teams. But they're just, there's just nothing overwhelming on offense to, you know, to, to really push them over. And I think that's really the biggest thing that's been hurting them. Right. Gotcha. Okay, so that takes us through pretty much all the Power Five and some of the non-Power Five. Uh, I'd like to hit on a few individual players. So you and I both were Herbert guys coming into the season, and I don't think that's changed. It hasn't changed for me. I still think he might be well-served to stay in school one more year, but, I mean, if people, if he universally receives a top, five to ten grade, I, I can see why he would not return to. I think Oregon. even if he does that, he should stay in school. I mean, that's, I don't know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, I feel like the thing about Herbert is I feel like he's a guy that he should have came in this year, he should have had a um, a big step up in, in terms of his development. And he has developed in certain ways. I mean, he hasn't got, gotten worse, but... I just don't see him as a guy who's really matured enough as a quarterback to really warrant a top pick or even to come out this early. You know, it's kind of a similar situation like Sam Darnold last year where Darnold was a guy that played extremely well as a redshirt sophomore. Um, And then, uh, well, not redshirt, but redshirt freshman. And then came in again and kind of had an underwhelming season. And then now you're asking a 21-year-old to win NFL games on Sunday. And, Based on the data, most 21-year-old quarterbacks suck in the NFL. Um, I just think that's the thing about Herbert. I think he just needs to stay in school, get a little bit more matured. Now, people will lose their minds if that happens because of how weak this quarterback class is. I mean, this is – just from the surface, if you're just talking mainstream guys, uh, mainstream quarterbacks, everybody's trumpeting for it. This is not a great quarterback class. So – um, Herbert definitely is the best of the bunch, but he's a guy who would be better served to stay in school and, and develop a little bit more. Um, because if, if the second guy up is Drew Locke, oof. <laughs> like, I think the Broncos would be happy to get Drew Locke, but I don't think they'll be happy in two years from now when they have Drew Locke, you know, um, to be their quarterback. It just seems like a generic uh, – all strong arm quarterback, you know, that has accuracy issues and decision issues. I think we've seen this play out a lot. Stop the cycle. Put down put down the tall white quarterback drug. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Yes. I'm with you. Uh But they never will put that down. They 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 don't they, they don't want to ever get well. They don't want to get fixed. They 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 just want to keep indulging. Mm-hmm. Yep. Keep riding the, the white quarterback horse. They do keep riding the white quarterback horse. I mean, if Josh Allen 
I mean, I know we've criticized Drew Locke, and we've criticized Ryan Finley, and we've criticized um, Jared Stidham and, you know, some other ones as well. But if you can sell yourself on taking Josh Allen in the top ten, you top can sell 10. yourself on any. Yeah, you in can. the top ten. You can sell yourself on just about you know, anything, my friend. Because people I, – I mean, I don't want to get an old Josh Allen thing. I mean, we'll see where we're at in five years. But, like, it's – like, traits – everybody talks about traits. Now, well, you need to look at the traits, you know, the data stuff and stuff like that. I'm looking at traits. I'm looking at data traits. Like, you're looking at, does he look like Carson Wentz? You know, <laughs> is he the same height? Is he the same weight? Does he have the same, you know, humble demeanor about him or whatever? Does he work hard? Like, it's just ridiculous the types of traits, quote-unquote traits, that you're looking for at the position. Um Locke, to me, is just not that. Ryan Finley, and I like Ryan Finley. Finley is like a day two, uh, you know, backup quarterback type guy, you know, that you kind of have him, you know, if you're a West Coast offense or whatever, and just have him there. You don't take that guy in the first round, you know. Um, But, yeah, this whole quarterback class is just not, not kosher. At least at this point. I mean, I'll see how, where everything kind of sets up at the end of the year, but uh, I just I just have a lot of misgivings about this quarterback class. I think you'd be better served going in other directions you know, defensively than quarterback this year. Yeah. Have you seen enough running backs so far or done enough work on running backs as far to have a feeling about which ones might be good? Um, hmm. Not really. I mean, I've seen, I've obviously seen David David Montgomery. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff with him. Uh, I've seen the Maryland back as well. He's been, he's been kind of a fun player to watch. Um, yeah, I don't have a ton to say about a lot of the running backs. A lot of the plays I've seen have been more wide receiver-ish uh, to a certain extent, but uh, but running back haven't been too heavy into the running backs yet. Hmm. Okay. Um, how about wide receivers? Have you checked any of them out? And if so, has anyone caught your eye or anything that you might have seen in the um, in the data caught your eye? Um, data-wise, not yet. A lot of that stuff, I get, around Thanksgiving, I think I'll have a better idea data-wise about a lot of the wide receivers in the class. Film-wise, I think, obviously, what Hakeem Butler did last week, I think, was very cool. You know, a guy his size. I think mean, a lot of the wide receivers in this class are just big, you know. I mean, there's other guys too, but um, I do think Hakeem Butler was pretty impressive just in terms of his size and balance for his size. Uh, Nikhil Harry, of course, has been kind of putting on a show because just his ability to make ridiculous catches and and and, um, and move really well for a guy his size. Uh of course, the Minnesota wide receiver 
I think has also been pretty impressive just in terms of his um, fluidity and routes. Um, a lot of the Alabama wide receivers have been pretty um, impressive as well. Um, you know, like Jerry Judy and uh, they've got a couple of slack guys there as well that are, that are kind of impressive. Um, A.J. Brown, of course, at Ole Miss has been doing right. his thing. I think he's a little overrated, of course. But yeah, all the all the Mississippi, yeah, all the Ole Miss wide receivers are all slightly overrated because yeah. it's funny. It's like an Ole Miss wide receiver effect that seems to settle over all of them, which is interesting. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's sort of like, I mean, Miami, for example, you know, Miami of course produced Andre Johnson and Reggie Wayne and all these other sort of guys. Ole Miss. And they've been compared. They've had wide receivers that were compared to Andre Johnson and compared to Reggie Wayne, but none of them have really turned into that at the NFL level. So it's kind of a weird sort of um, branding a school as a as a thing when they haven't really produced that thing yet. So that's the only thing I would say about Ole Miss. It's kind of interesting about them. So you know if that makes any sense, it's kind of like it's kind of like comparing uh, a, a school to quarterback U when none of their quarterbacks have really done much in the NFL um, at all. Really, you know, like maybe one of them became a backup. That's about it. You know, none of them became starters. You know, at church and you know, or whatever. Um, that's the only weird thing I'd say about Ole Miss. Because, for example, right now, can you think of any current NFL wide receivers that are from Ole Miss that are doing anything significant? And you can't say yeah, the point. Yeah, no, I was trying to that. I was trying to – do we – I mean, obviously, the most successful one in the last 25 years means that Eric Mould, you know, left the – at the NFL is um, is still Mr. Wallace, right? Isn't he still the most successful one since Eric Mould? Yeah, Mike Wallace. Bit, yeah, Mike Wallace. Okay, so between Eric Mould and Mike Wallace, we have basically the two real success stories for Ole Miss wide receivers. Mm-hmm. So Central Michigan. Uh, holds a bit of a lead, I guess, currently over Ole Miss with the wide receiver position. At least. Pretty much. That's what I'm saying. I mean, Notre Dame. I mean, he could, you know, Golden Tate, Quimby St. Brown. Boom. He I mean, I wouldn't necessarily count Quimby St. Brown 100%, but, you, you know, like, it's basically on par with that. USC, of course, you do some Schuster and, you know, Right, Nelson Aguilar, you know, and so on and so forth. That's all I'm saying. A lot of reputation on the school that hasn't quite produced the goods yet. Most of Ole Miss, I mean, most of the highly recruited team, you know, players at Ole Miss haven't quite lived up to the hype, of course. You know, Robert Kandicha, right? He's definitely one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL currently, right, Bill? Yes, Robert right. Yes, yeah. yeah, right. He's tearing it up. Ten sacks killing a Absolute killing machine. Yeah. Or Chad Kelly, right? Oh, oh, yeah. 
I like A.J. Brown. I think he's a, a solid wide receiver. I do like the other guy, you know, Nikhil Harry. and uh, Right. Well, Nikhil Harry I like. You know. I, don't, I don't understand if with all the love of tall receivers, why is Jamal Custis not being slobbered over the way some of these other – I mean, Hakeem Butler and, J, and Jamal Custis are very similar guys, and it's almost like mm-hmm. somehow people accidentally their way into Hakeem Butler. But Jamal Custis plays in the ACC. How is – I don't understand the selectivity of some of the love. <laughs> like they're kind of the same. Well, dude. well, I'm exaggerating slightly. Again, I mean, keep in like, mind, keep in mind, though, keep in mind. This is coming from someone who hasn't watched a ton of football and just saw a highlight and then watched the actual game and was like, "Oh, he's pretty good." So again, that's that's my perspective. Oh, I'm, no, I'm not talking about you. I'm not you. You've been out of the country. Right. I'm talking about all these other – like, I've watched Hakeem Butler, and he has, I would give him a slight edge in body control. I think that's where he has the edge on Custis. So he's like better body control. I think Custis may actually outrun Butler uh, when they actually when – the, when combine time rolls around. But Butler seems to be a little more acrobatic of the two. But, but C- Jamal Custis is a big, strong, fast wide receiver that I, I think – is going to have a pretty good day when Combine Pro Day rolls around. And then I think people might suddenly discover him. Like all through, all through this last couple of years, people have somehow managed not to discover Jamal Custis. And then it's going to take, you know, the Combine or the Pro Day, people are like, oh, Jamal Custis rising up boards, blah, blah, blah. <sighs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Let me see. What is, is there anything else? Let me see. Uh, oh, oh, oh. I guess we should talk a little bit about offensive line and men and defensive players before we close out. Uh, have you seen any offensive linemen that you or or tight ends? I'll include those as well. Uh, that that grabbed your attention that you liked or anything like that? Um, I haven't really seen a ton of offensive linemen. Mostly seen defensive linemen. Um, I mean Ed Oliver obviously comes to mind. Um, Jeremiah Jones has flashed a lot. Um, hasn't quite produced as a thing, but definitely flashed a lot in terms of what he's done. Um, the Alabama, you know, Queen and Williams. I don't quite think Williams is like Gerald McCoy, but I do think he's done enough to, you know, potentially be a, you know, a starting NFL, um, you know, defensive tackle yeah. potentially. You know who you of? Remember that kid from Minnesota that everybody got all excited about? Does it oh, similar? Uh, Super impressive, yeah. but 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 spotty appears, oh. dominate kills yeah, and money. I compared with Godzilla. Right, but you couldn't find him at all. The next game tape, like, well, is he hurt? Nope, nope, he's in there. Well, where is he? Like, it was, it was crazy because there were three games where he looked like literally a top five pick, and then there was another five games we couldn't find him at all. And then mm-hmm. in the other game, besides those three and five, he was, you know, he made the occasional play and looked decent, but it was like, who is this? 
it was like three different guys. The invisible guy, the dominant, unstoppable killer, and then a guy who looked like a third rounder. He was at various points all three. Yeah. I don't remember his name. <laughs> yeah, he was, I know who you're talking about. He was on the he was in so much of Finn and Williams because of the physical characteristics and flashing, but only flashing. I mean, like he didn't put it together where you could watch four games in a row and think, "Wow, this guy's going to be a, you know amazing." Yeah, um, I'm trying to. I remember he was like 2015 class, maybe. Yes, I think I think it was either 2013 or 2014. I think. Maybe, One yeah, yeah. And he was. I know. Right, six, I know. He was he like is. six five and a half and three hundred and seventeen pounds. Oh, he was ridiculous. He was ridiculous. I mean, he. But was, he had. But he had like. Yeah, but he had like seven point. He had like seven point seven percent body fat. Yeah, it's Hageman. Yeah, thank you, Rasheed Hageman. Yes. Remember him? Remember how much some people thought he was going to be, you know, just a first-team All-Pro right out of the gate? Mm-hmm. Which at times yeah, looks like. I mean, I could kind of see. But some of these, all I need to see is 20 plays, dude. That's how you get fooled. You realize, oh, I can tell, and, you know, I just need to see 20 plays. Or I just need to see, like, oh, okay, well, you can do that. Or, I need to see about 200, you know, that you enjoy your 20. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, right. That's what I see when I see him. I see him as you think. And he might be a little more, um, what do you call that thing, a little more consistent. But he's not. I mean, he's better than him. I mean, he's better than him, I think. But I do – What my biggest issue with him so far has just been kind of similar to your issues in that this is a guy that you're talking about as like a top five, top ten overall pick. Um, yeah, and I don't see he's that. producing well. I mean, he's not like Robert Kadiche level in productive, but he's not exactly blowing it out of the water either, you know, in terms of his production. So it, right. that's my biggest issue. For a guy like him, you know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. Any other players? Uh, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, corners, safeties. Mm-hmm. Uh, haven't quite off. haven't quite gotten into cornerbacks yet. I haven't quite gotten into um, linebackers yet. A hundred percent. I have seen a bit of uh, Devin um, um, White at LSU, um, who I think is you know kind of a solid product. Not he's been a little overhyped. He's not like the next Ray Lewis or anything, but he definitely is a solid you know LSU linebacker. I guess the best way to put it. Um, but yeah, as far as I'm, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I mean, I haven't seen a ton of people yet, but uh, but I'm getting there. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. 
Um, and I'll ask one last question before we, we close this sucker out. Are there any players, maybe you haven't seen them yet, but you really would like to see them, like you're intrigued, haven't gotten around to them, but you're planning to? Uh, pretty much all of them. I've heard a lot of good things about the tight end class from most people that everybody likes it. I haven't seen any you're, tight ends yet. So. A little, I don't want to, you know, rain or whatever on the parade, but I think you end up being a little bit disappointed. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad class. And once again, some of it's my own prejudices or whatever because I still like to see blocking. Um, a lot of people are super excited about Fant, and my issues with him, not only is he not much of a blocker, but he's physically, I see him physically get pushed around by guys who we outweighed by 60-plus pounds. So not only does he struggle with blocking, he struggles with press coverage, which shouldn't happen, you know, when you're even yeah. a nominal, negligible tight end. Um, he may have to do the funchest thing and actually convert from tight end to wide receiver, which you might be athletic enough to do, or get stronger, one or the other. Yeah, so you don't want him to have a David Njoku-like experience, is what you're saying. Right, but Njoku, he was physically strong. He just he had some issues with fighting through coverage. I think because of, I don't think he understood, you know, how you should probably go out doing it as opposed to being too weak to do it. Because his weight room numbers, mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen his weight room numbers, unless they just lie, his weight room numbers are actually pretty impressive. Um, but his, well, yeah, he seemed to struggle with press coverage more because he didn't seem to have an answer than being physically weak. But in the case of young Mr. Fant, I see him being physically struggling. I mean, he, he seems to have a real problem with upper body strength. <laughs> he like a... I could. I mean, I know we've talked about this, the weakest tight end class, but this, this trade could be continuing. So I think Bryson Hopkins, who, fun fact, is the son of my former student Brad, the son of my former student Brad Hopkins, who went on to be a two-time or maybe three-time Pro Bowl guard with the uh, Oilers slash Titans. Shout out to Brad Hopkins, who uh, I saw him back when he was a 289-pound sophomore at University of Illinois, but. Uh, his son, God, that makes you go old. But his son, Bryson, is a very impressive young, I think he's a junior, either redshirt sophomore or true junior, uh, tight end at, um, at Purdue. And he knows his way around the weight room. So Bryson Hopkins will not be one of these little weak tight ends that the world is now infested with. But, uh, but yeah, Fant is an impressive athlete. He catches the ball well. He runs nice routes. He's quick. But I've seen him get physically manhandled by guys who are 100. 89 pounds, and I'm not joking when I say it. Hmm. But he is impressive in a lot of other areas, but he just lacks physical strength. Right. And it's, okay. it, he, he still, he looks like a, a high school tight end sometimes to be, more than he looks like a college tight end. A really impressive high school tight end who's big and can run, and by big I mean tall, uh, he, he definitely doesn't have they you know, the kind of saying, let's get him in the weight room and let's see where he's at in three years is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, to put it in perspective, Eric Dungy has a bite that's more like an NFL tight end than Noah Fall, in my opinion. Huh. 
Well, once again, watch, watch, watch the tight end class, and I don't want to, I, mean, I guess I'm probably already influencing you. I don't mean to do that. I'm sorry. Because uh, I've watched them also. Once again, I'm excited about tight ends. I want, especially it's a tight, it's, this should be a golden age of tight end play because of, you know, they've neutered all the safeties, uh, basically, in the NFL. So if you can play tight end reasonably well, you should frolic nowadays in the NFL. No more getting your head taken off over the middle. You know, no more. I mean, all the stuff people used to have to do to you tight ends, you can't do this them anymore. And if you can block even a little bit, people sing your praises. I mean, people that talk about Rob Gronkowski like he's a dominant blocker, and he's a good blocker. He's a very good blocker. But like I said, I grew up on watching Orson Mosley and Gene Puget. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, I remember watching guys who block like tackle playing tight end. Um, it, I think Witten is sort of the last of a dying breed. I mean, maybe that'll change. We might see some guys who are legitimately really good blockers hit the league soon. But unless that happens, you know, there could be basically just giant possession receivers. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll close this out with one last question. So from what you've seen thus far, and I know you're very preliminary, what do you think is the real heart and soul of this draft class? What do you think is the real strength? At this point, I don't I'd probably say defensive linemen. Yeah, I think everybody. And, you know, the wide receiver class looks promising. I know I've had, I've had some people say the wide receiver class is really good, but other people say it's really good, but there's no number one wide receiver in this class, which is always kind of a dumb thing to say because, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like every time somebody says, they're just saying that there's no six foot five, two hundred and thirty pound wide receiver that runs fully. Basically, they're saying there's no Calvin Johnson in the class. You don't need to be Calvin Johnson to be a number one wide receiver. Um, I think that's been proven time and time again. <laughs> but I do think that this is a good. The wide receivers I've seen initially, I do think it's a it's a, a pretty decent looking wide receiver class as well. And you take everything into account. Yeah, but defensive linemen, wide receivers, I think would probably be the, the bigger uh, things I'd gravitate to, just from the things I've seen you know, so far. Which I like. I like defensive linemen. The NFL needs more defensive linemen that are good because it's. Well, you better have defensive linemen. Right. Because the, way, the only way to play defense nowadays in the NFL is to force turnovers, essentially. Um, so you better have defensive right. linemen who can, who can help you to force turnovers either by getting the kind of pressure that generates uh, bad throws that can give you interceptions uh, or do, good, do a good enough job in terms of getting pressure so you don't have to blitz, because if you can get consistent pressure without having to blitz, you can then, you know, leave, you know, seven or I guess if you're a three, three, a three down lineman team, eight into coverage, and you can drop eight. Even against the Tom Brady's of the world, you can occasionally, you know, force some incompletions and maybe even yourself. Uh, so if you can get pressure with three, I mean, that's really... You know, I mean, certain game changer, I guess, is sort of a cliche, but it changes the way the defense has to worry, or what, with what they have to worry, right? Because then that team's going to have to try to run you out of 
three, dropping eight, you know, and, and playing with three. And there's a handful of teams that run the ball well enough to force you to, to have to do something different, but a bunch of teams don't. A bunch of teams don't run the ball that well nowadays. Or they look like they're running the ball well because you're running against light boxes. You know, a lot of teams have six-man boxes nowadays. Uh, well, Mr. James Coke, is there anything you would like to tell the, the world, the people, the, the, the audience about what you've been up to, uh, videos you're dropping, your drop articles, charts, graphs, anything, um, and where they can find and follow your work? Uh, sure. Uh, you can find my work at, uh... hey, come on. I'm trying to, trying to tell people stuff. Uh, you can find my work at draftcover.wordpress.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Geometric. Uh, you can go to the Common Football Show where I've been doing mid-season reviews on NFL teams based on statistics. So if you want to know how your team is better or worse, this year compared to previous years, at least from the midpoint of this year, you can go over there and check that out. Because um, I think it's a good resource just to see how you got better, how you got worse, um, those other sort of things. And I'll probably get into most improved teams versus the worst or the least improved teams, I guess, um, so far uh, through the first eight weeks of the year. And again, all that stuff you can look at uh, the Common Football Show. And like I said before, around Thanksgiving, I'm going to be doing a lot of the data collection stuff, so I'll know more stuff market share-wise about all the prospects around that time. And then and that's really about it. And, of course, by that point, we'll be able to look at the data and see who's a contender, who's a pretender, and all those other sort of things. Because a lot of times, by that point, you'll have a good idea about who's legit, who's not, because the bowl games only really do so much to really improve guys for the most part when it comes to data. Gotcha. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Uh, I'm, I have a couple of articles that will be coming on Nuts and Bolt Sports. One will be uh, sort of a thing about why sometimes you can't stick to sports, so dealing with how sports affects society, how society affects, uh, affects sports and how politics, race, religion, economics, all are expressed in sports constantly and there's no way to separate them. Uh, that'll be one of my, uh, I try to stay away from, uh, you know, things like that, but sometimes you can't. And so I have to plant my flag. And then um, shortly thereafter that, I'll start dropping my uh, all underappreciated, all emerging uh, teams and my watch list uh, for Next year, um, for some of the guys who are who are like underclassmen this year, you know, juniors, sophomores, uh, well, primarily sophomores and freshmen, redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores, that'll be on my radar for next year. Um, since never too early to start thinking about 2019. Uh, once again, always a, an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure, Mr. James Coburn. I very much look forward to doing this again with you very very soon, and I really do want to co-write something with you. Um, so we'll talk about that off air uh, when there's a better time and place and whatever. Uh, but it's always great. Uh, enjoy your time back here in America, and I will talk to you soon, young man.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.